Welcome to 2024. With the 2024 election on the horizon, the wars in Gaza and Ukraine, and numerous other foreign policy and domestic news stories, it's never been more important to stay informed. The DSR Network has you covered, with experts across all of these stories, to bring you the analysis and commentary of the stories that matter. Later this month, the DSR Network will introduce the TNR Daily, featuring Greg Sargent, formerly of the Washington Post, and a close friend of the show. Don't miss a moment of our coverage. Become a member of the DSR Network today. Members receive exclusive bonus content, the opportunity to attend DSR live events, a members-only Slack community, an ad-free listening experience, and more. For the month of January, receive 50% off your first year of membership. Visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and enter code DSR2024 at checkout. That's thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and code DSR2024. Thank you for your support. Hello and welcome to the DSR Daily. I'm David Rothkopf, one of your hosts, joined as always by Chris Gottmore. How are you doing, Chris? Doing well, thank you. And Riley Fessler. How are you today, Riley? Doing well. We're going to track the news, try to provide a little bit of an overlay to it. Shall I start with you, Chris? Sure. So um, just a few minutes ago, the International Court of Justice uh, directed Israel to intensify efforts to prevent harm to Palestinian civilians in Gaza, though it stopped short of demanding a ceasefire. Uh, as we reported last week, um, this was a case brought uh, into the the world court by South Africa. Um, and South Africa contended that uh, Israel um, was uh, responsible for a genocide in the country. Um, while, again, the, the decision stopped short of a ceasefire, it's been hailed by South Africa and various human rights groups as a significant step for international law. Israel is required as part of the agreement uh, to report on steps taken uh, in one month's time. Um, I I don't have a good understanding of how enforceable this is. Um, I was actually surprised to see that one of the outcomes could have been directing Israel uh, to um, to a ceasefire. But what what are, what are the implications here, David? And you know what sort of teeth does the world court have to enforce this? They don't have teeth to enforce it. The Israelis would have ignored that. Uh, and immediately in the wake of the ruling, you had Israelis coming into social media and making comments saying, this is a vindication for Israel and it proves we're not doing anything too terrible. Uh, and you had Israel's critics going, this was a stunning in, uh, indictment of Israel that did not take the idea of genocide off the table uh, and will allow this court to continue to look into genocide for many years to come. Um, I, you know, I, 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 it certainly didn't let Israel off the hook because it is an open issue, um, but it wasn't the most uh, sort of damning conclusion they could come to. Uh, uh, I would say, um, you know, it, it served a purpose 
by sort of framing the issue in the eyes of the international community that genocide was a possibility here uh, and serve notice to Israel that this is going to be an issue that's going to be followed very closely. Uh, so this is just the beginning salvo resolves nothing. Riley. Well, France is set to finally enact this very controversial immigration law that we've talked about on this show a couple times before. Uh, it was passed five weeks ago and has led to a lot of problems for Emmanuel Macron's government as uh, key members of his party have kind of split with him on this. Many see it as a big concession to the far right and the far right has kind of done a victory lap on this. But it has hit a road bump. Uh, 35 measures of the bill were rejected by the Constitutional Council. And many of those measures were actually part of those added as concessions to the right wing and under far right pressure. So, you know, it definitely affects the actual law, how it affects the perception of Macron. I think it's probably going to be very little given that he was willing to let these slide. Um, but the new law will still allow foreigners uh, legally in France to be deported with criminal convictions, uh, even those who came before they were 13 and those who have lived there for over 20 years. So it is still a pretty substantial uh, expansion and crackdown on immigration, but it is not going to be as severe as many of those on the far right wanted, which is a good thing. Uh, yeah, I mean, clearly immigration is a big issue around the world, part of globalization, the ability of people to move around more easily. Uh, and, you know, every country has a movement against immigrants, uh, although, you know, every country uh, benefits from immigrants because they provide vital um, labor force and many immigrants are highly motivated to succeed within the societies they enter. Uh, and a number of immigrants are always um, uh, refugees from conflict situations or political oppression, and they actually have a right under international law to seek asylum. Uh, and sorting all of that out extremely out of sorting all of that out is extremely difficult. Um, and and nobody's doing a super good job of it. Um, in the United States, here, you know, it's gotten so bad that in the course of the past twenty four hours. Uh, in the wake of Texas um, uh, uh, essentially saying we're going to ignore the Supreme Court, we're not going to let the federal government anywhere near our border, with the governor of Texas actually asserting that he has the power under the Constitution to repel an invasion if the federal government is not doing it. You know, you kind of thought that was over the top. And then Trump came out in favor of that. And then Arkansas governor... Uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders said, we stand with Texas. Other governors said they stand with Texas. Mike Johnson said he stands with Texas. Uh, and the Texas Attorney General, uber-corrupt Ken Paxson, uh, uh, who is now, there's another motion underfoot, underway to impeach him, said the United States, you know, better not mess with Texas because if they send their people down here, you know, we're prepared for them. Uh, all this sounds a lot like secession. You know, it sounds like prelude to civil war. It's because the language that Governor Abbott used regarding the immigrant invasion uh, and his rights to act independent of the government is very, very similar to the language the Confederacy used when they seceded from the Union in 1861. Uh, so it's an issue in France. Uh, the reason the far right has risen in Germany uh, is in part because of immigration. 
Uh, it's an issue in Italy. It's an issue in the UK. Uh, uh, and it's an issue in the United States and, and, and uh, one that is actually right now of all the issues in front of the United States, possibly the central issue. You even had, however, some movement recently in the past few hours of Republicans saying, you know, this idea of scuttling a potential immigration bill just because Trump doesn't want to give Biden a victory is stupid. Um, and they were at, they actually, you know, several of them, Tom Tillis and some others stood up, uh, and said, we've got, we've got to pursue this. So, you know, I, you know, that, that may seem extraneous, but under the general rubric of, of immigration, there's a lot to watch here. It is a primary issue in, in most major developed nations, uh, and we'll keep an eye on it. Chris? The state of Alabama executed convicted murderer Kenneth Eugene Smith, uh, the significance of which is the first time that nitrogen, nitrogen gas was used um, globally in an execution. The method was touted as being uh, more humane. Um, uh, the real reason why they used nitrogen was because they had trouble obtaining or have trouble obtaining lethal injection drugs. Um, the execution took 25 minutes, which doesn't seem very humane to me, um, where he visibly gasped for air uh, based on uh, accounts from uh, bystanders. Um, the, ex the execution drew international attention and criticism uh, with its concerns about its potential for severe side effects and its ethical implications. Um, I am not a, a death penalty um, advocate. Uh, this does not seem like a humane solution. I do think people um, who obviously, you know, this person was convicted uh, in a murder for hire uh, scheme in which uh, a preacher's wife was murdered. Um, beliefs, you know, believe what you believe. Um, in any case, a significant um, development in, I guess, the death penalty arena. Very measured response on your part. Uh, you know, I encourage people, if they want to know more, to go and read the descriptions of the long, torturous death suffered by this guy as he you know, tried to sit up and, you know, in the, on the gurney and he struggled and he um, didn't die immediately and, and the whole thing took a long time. Uh, or if you don't want to read that, uh, go and read uh, uh, the dissent by Justice Sonia Sotomayor. Uh, the three liberal justices on the Supreme Court said that this was not an appropriate way to uh, carry out the death sentence uh, and that it could in fact be cruel uh, and inhuman punishment, which is prohibited by the Constitution. Uh, uh, Justice Sotomayor, who has become a kind of conscience of the court, uh, uh, laid out extremely well why this should not have taken place. Um, and uh, it shouldn't have. It's, it's horrible. It's barbaric. Riley? Well, a UN-backed mission uh, in Haiti aimed at kind of stabilizing the, the country that has been under severe violence and instability since, uh, for the past almost three years since the president was assassinated. Um, uh, Kenya was 
going to kind of lead this effort uh, and send police into Haiti, but a Kenyan court has ruled against the plan, uh, saying that it goes against the country's constitution. Um, so obviously this is a huge barrier for this UN-backed mission. Um, uh, what Kenyan President William Ruto described the mission as a mission for humanity, so there's clearly a schism in the government on this, but it did also have pretty significant public backlash. So it seems uh, we don't really know what's going to happen next. As of the writing of the article, neither the uh, supporters uh, or the opposition to this kind of plan had spoken out against about the ruling. Um, but bad news for Haiti. Uh, it's a country that desperately needs help and is not getting enough attention. Um, so it's a shame, and we'll, we'll see kind of how the UN responds. Yeah, no question uh, that uh, uh, it's yet another blow to Haiti, which is a country that has been suffering blows for the past couple of hundred years uh, to say that, you know, the violence, you know, flared up three years ago. There has always been violence in Haiti. In fact, in uh, 1994, you know, uh, uh, when the Duvalier regime uh, was uh, knocked out by uh, uh, Jean-Bertrand Aristide, uh, the United States briefly invaded Haiti. Uh, I made the mistake at a, at a federal government meeting, uh, where I was representing, uh, the Commerce Department saying, shouldn't we coordinate all the economic, you know, response to, to what we're doing in Haiti? And, uh, you know, a couple of days later, I read that the White House had appointed me the Haiti economic coordinator. So I spent a couple of years focusing on Haiti's economic problems. Uh, and, uh, I have to say, uh, it was one of the most uh, uh, daunting and frustrating experiences of my life. There was corruption on both sides. The people are wonderful, uh, but there failed education systems, uh, a lot of exploitation by a few uh, rich families of, of the majority of Haitians. Uh, and that has continued. And of course, Haiti has also been struck by things like earthquakes and other kinds of natural disasters, which has made uh, it harder for them to recover. Uh, it is all the more striking because, of course, they share the island of Hispaniola with the Dominican Republic, uh, which is actually, uh, in a number of ways, done pretty well. Uh, has a tourism industry. Haiti doesn't really to speak of. Uh, Haiti has sort of Haiti has sort of light manufacturing, and so um, uh, it's a it's a it's really a, a tragic story and 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 one for which there does not seem to be. Um, any kind of positive outcome uh, looming. Chris? Weren't, weren't you the Hades are? Wasn't that was, your official? Was, well, no, they call it, some people called it that in the press. I see. Uh, bra briefly. Um, I, you, know, uh. you, you, you bring that up because I like to be referred to as the czar. Around <laughs> here. No. Um, no and, I, you and, never and, once asked to be called czar. Well, no, not you, but I asked Riley to call me. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say I've received internal memos saying the contrary yeah, to that. So yeah, the, uh, David the Terrible, they call me. Uh, as, anyway, what is what is your final story for the day, Chris? Uh, Sweden's Prime Minister Ulf Kristersson has agreed to negotiate with Hungary and sometime, um, sometimes Turkey leader Viktor Orban. Just kidding, everyone. Um, Viktor Orban is in fact. The leader You're saying of that because Hungary. Donald Trump said he was the leader of Turkey for a while, yes. That's right. His friend, Viktor Orban. 
uh, who he was touting as as such as a uh, such a good guy. Um, this is a significant development in in terms of uh, Sweden's position in the past has been they did not see a need to negotiate with Hungary. Uh, all NATO members um, unanimously have to agree to accept new members. This is a strategic uh, step in that direction. I expect um, Sweden to be admitted to NATO, but of course, uh, Orban is likely to extract some nonsensical concessions um, out of Sweden. So we'll keep an eye on this. Well, story so it shows it a lot of a lot of, uh, of um, patience and and statesmanship from the Swedes. They you know know that Orban wants to have a vic- uh, apparent victory, and they want to give it to him so that they can move forward to the business of joining NATO. NATO plus Finland and Sweden is a significantly stronger NATO, much stronger on the northern flank. Uh, and one of the big defeats of Putin in this war will be the expansion of NATO, which will also, one hopes, ultimately include Ukraine. Last story up, Riley. Well, ending the week on a good news story, uh, the Biden administration has postponed new approvals for natural gas export terminals in the U.S. And this is seen as a big victory for environmental, gr- environmental groups who had been championing this and highlighting the concerns about surging uh, exports in liquefied natural gas. Um, And it also aligns with Biden's own commitment to half the uh, climate pollution by 2030. Um, And the White House's main concerns are that current evaluations of these projects don't fully consider uh, American costs and environmental impacts. Um, The natural gas industry has unsurprisingly been not too happy about this. Uh, One of the things they're interestingly citing is that it is they're calling it a victory for Russia, which I thought was kind of an interesting line of attack against this decision. Um, and this is part of earlier justification in the Biden administration that's shipping natural gas to Ukraine would help the war effort. So, well, and the, to Europe. And to Europe, yeah. Europe. yeah. Um, so it's an interesting line of attack. I don't think it'll be particularly effective. And I also think this will be huge for the youth vote for Joe Biden as, you know, Younger folks are often pretty concerned about the climate, myself included. So I think this should help. I like that you refer to yourself as younger folks. Compared to Chris and me, clearly you are. But um, uh, certainly, you know, uh, you know, it's a decision that has uh, been embraced by the climate movement. You know, there, there is a, you know, it used to be the, the, the line that uh, natural gas was a cleaner form of energy, and it's clearly cleaner than coal and uh, oil, but um, uh, there's a push afoot. You might have heard it here on our our, our run-up to COP28 podcast um, to go not for cleaner energy, but for actually clean energy, uh, which is to say renewables like solar, wind, wave, and so forth. Um, and, uh, you know, that's sort of the next fork in the road. You know, it's sort of, we move past should there be coal? There shouldn't be. We'd move past. Should we maintain, you know, oil? No, we need to phase that out, even gasoline and cars. And now we're moving towards how do we have the cleanest energy mix possible? That's the right discussion to have. Uh, it is a positive uh, development. Another positive development is that it's Friday. 
things you might want to watch for today, of course, are the rat closing arguments in the Trump E. Jean Carroll trial, which should be quite interesting. And it's possible you could have a verdict, which is to say a determination of the penalties Trump owes uh, today, uh, late today, could could come early next week. Um, and, uh, you know, keep an eye on this uh, standoff regarding the border uh, because it's it's right now at a particularly dicey moment and federal government has yet to respond to Texas's provocations. Uh, so we'll we'll have to we'll have to keep an eye on that as well, which we will, and we will update you on those when we return on Monday morning for this, the daily. Uh, I guess we've got an episode of uh, um, We're All Gonna Die Radio later today. Is that correct, Riley? That is correct. So keep yeah, an eye out so for that. Keep an eye out for that. Uh, and then back to our usual schedule, uh, uh, full week next week. Uh, so hope you'll join us for all those things and, and, and we wish you a good weekend. Bye-bye.